Our uh, passage for, uh, that we will reflect on for the sermon this morning is Judges chapter 15. And so that will be our Old Testament reading. Uh, so if you will turn to me and hear God's holy and inspired word from Judges chapter 15. After some days, at the time of wheat harvest, Samson went to visit his wife with a young goat. And he said, I will go into my wife in the chamber. But her father would not allow him to go in. And her father said, I really thought that you utterly hated her, so I gave her to your companion. Is not her younger sister more beautiful than she? Please take her instead. And Samson said to them, This time I shall be innocent in regard to the Philistines when I do them harm. So Samson went and caught three hundred foxes and took torches. And he turned them tail to tail and put a torch between each pair of tails. And when he had set fire to the torches, he let the foxes go into the standing grain of the Philistines and set fire to the stacked grain and the standing grain as well as the olive orchards. Then the Philistines said, Who has done this? And they said, Samson, the son-in-law of the Timnite, because he has taken his wife and given her to his companion. And the Philistines came up and burned her and her father with fire. And Samson said to them, If you, if this is what you do, I swear I will be avenged on you, and after that I will quit. And he struck them hip and thigh with a great blow, and went down and stayed in the cleft of the rock of Etam. Then the Philistines came up and encamped in Judah and made a raid on Lehi. And the men of Judah said, Why have you come up against us? They said, We have come up to bind Samson to do to him as he did to us. Then three thousand men of Judah went down to the cleft of the rock of Etam and said to Samson, Do you not know that the Philistines are rulers over us? What then is this that you have done to us? And they said to them, And he said to them, As they did to me, so I have done to them. And they said to him, We have come down to bind you, that we may give you into the hand of the Philistines. And Samson said to them, Swear to me that you will not attack me yourselves. They said to him, No, we will only bind you and give you into their hands. We will surely not kill you. So they bound him with two new ropes and brought him up from the rock. When the when he came to Lehi, the Philistines came shouting to meet him. Then the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him, and the ropes that were on his hands became as flax that has caught fire, and his bonds melted from off his hands. And he found a fresh jawbone of a donkey and put out his hand and took it. And with it he struck a thousand men. And Samson said, With the jawbone of a donkey, heaps upon heaps, with the jawbone of a donkey, have I struck down a thousand men. As soon as he had finished speaking, he threw away the jawbone out of his hand, and that place was called Ramoth-Lehi. And he was very thirsty. And he called upon the Lord and said, You have granted this great salvation by the hand of your servant, And shall I now die of thirst and fall into the hands of the uncircumcised? And God split open the hollow place that is at Lehi, and water came out from it. And when he drank, his spirit returned, and he revived. 
Therefore, the name of it was called uh, in Hakor. It is at Lehi to this day. And he judged Israel in the days of the Philistines, 20 years. If, uh, if you took notes last time I was here, it's been a year. This seems to be my yearly slot that I get to come and be with you. Uh, and it's a joy in that. Uh, but the last few times I've come, we've been working our way through the book of Judges in the Samson story. And uh, and looking at, we could say in many ways, it's, it's a great focus and depiction on sin and sovereignty. Uh, what we find there with Samson. And just to set the, set the stage, the Samson story is, uh, is best seen in three parts. You have the birth announcement uh, in chapter 13. And then you have these two episodes. The first that we could say revolves around this Timnite woman that Samson wants to marry. And that's chapters 14 and into 15, our passage. And then you get the ones that revolve around a short episode with a prostitute in Gaza, but then what maybe we're really familiar with, with Delilah. And, uh, and that's in chapter 16. And, and especially chapters 14 and 15 in verse chapter 16 are in many ways parallel to each other. Uh, and so what we're doing today in, uh, in chapter 15 is really the extension of 14. And so we're somewhat jumping in uh, to the storyline, and, and so we'll, we'll throw in some background as, as we go along. Uh, and, and what we're going to, what we'll see is there's really, there's this su- surprising start, uh, what happens at the beginning, and there's a surprise at the end, and in the middle is this escalating conflict uh, that uh, is occurring with Samson and the Philistines. And, uh, and so we'll see, see those, those three things. And so we, uh, we start out with this surprise at the beginning. Samson thinks the marriage is still on. Uh, if you saw there, verse 1, he goes down there, brings this young goat uh, as probably this, this offering, this gift to the father-in-law. And the father-in-law... Um, right, He says, I want to go in. And the father-in-law, verse 2 there, says, I really thought that you had utterly hated her. So I gave her to your companion. And uh, as, we, as we think on that, we need chapter 14 to know why this is surprising. Well, it started out there with Samson. This one we knew from chapter 13 by his birth, that he's a Nazarite, one of these consecrated ones to God. And his future is to begin to save Israel, as was told his mother. Uh, and what does he do? The first thing, he tries to intermarry. The ones he's supposed to begin to save Israel from the Philistine, he wants to intermarry with. And that's what we find at the beginning of chapter 14. As he says, she's right in my own eyes, even though his parents uh, tried to talk him out of it. But chapter 14 goes on and we find out the wedding doesn't go very well. 
Uh, it really never comes to completion. And, uh, and it's all about this riddle. Samson had fought a lion, and then later when he's going down, he gets honey out of the lion, and then he's going to outsmart these Philistines. And he gives them really this unsolvable riddle about what is strong and what is sweet. And what do the Philistines do? Well, they then pressure his bride. Pressure her, threaten her with death. Uh, and she begs and begs Samson and finally reveals, he reveals the answer to her, which she then tells the Philistines. And so eh, Samson storms off, kills 30 men in Ashkelon to pay his wager, and then storms off home. Uh, and so when we read the father that, uh, that she, that he has given this bride to another man, and when Samson comes, uh, demanding or asking to come in, we can see his surprise. He clearly thought that this was done. Hating, as he said, I thought you hated her. Hating is really the language of divorce. Uh, I thought this was done. And, uh, and so, um, he, he wants to offer an alternative. He says, hey, I have another daughter here, even better. Uh, but Samson will have none of it. Uh, Samson, as we see, now he's ready to fight, uh, to do something to the Philistines. And, and so, uh, what we, what we find here is Samson is very attached to his bad ideas. Uh, his desire for this Philistine girl continues even after her betrayal of him. After all that's happened, didn't he learn his lesson? Uh, well, no, we, we find that Samson is one who wants what he wants, and there's nothing that's going to get in between it. No common sense, and certainly not any sanctified sense. And this nature of Samson If we read on in chapter 16, we'll see it continues, especially with Delilah. Uh, But as we say all of that, it's easy to look and shake our heads at Samson, but we shouldn't really be all that surprised as we examine ourselves. Sin at its base is irrational. It is going against the good things that God has laid out for us. And we do it on a regular basis. And so it's so easy to be shocked by Samson, by those around us, by what they're doing in sin. But I think it really shows our lack of appreciation of sin in our own life. Well, God was using this. There is this escalating enmity that comes out of it. Uh, and we must remember back in chapter 14, verse 4, we're told that Samson's desire to marry this Timnite woman, that it was God presenting an opportunity against the Philistines. That through his sinful desires and this botched marriage, Samson would begin... And I would argue even without his knowledge, without his planning, he would begin to fulfill what God had promised at his birth, to save, to begin to save Israel from the Philistines. For God was using Samson to start a fight. 
And Samson's pretty good at that. Uh, he was using Samson to create enmity between the Philistines and Israel. And chapter 15 is how we see, well, this family dispute, you gave my wife away, I'm mad at you, how this family dispute now turns into a national conflict, how it gets raised up. Uh, and, uh, and we find it in two initial cycles of revenge before we then get the big confrontation at the end. Uh, and so the first one, his wife is given to another man, and so what does Samson do out of revenge? Well, we read this very interesting tale of him taking all of these foxes and tying torches and going and, uh, and burning um, the, uh, the croplands. And, and notice, right, it was the time of the wheat harvest, as it tells us right there at the beginning. Uh, and so what do the Philistines do in response? Well, if you're going to burn our land, we're going to burn your father-in-law and your, and your wife, or your supposed wife, the one you want as a wife. And so what does Samson then do? Well, then we get this idiom of him tearing this group apart limb from limb. Uh, and uh, now as, as we read those, we see, yeah, things are starting to escalate. But it is an interesting question. Why is he responding in these ways? And why are the Philistines responding in the ways that they do? Samson certainly is mad, but that's not enough of an explanation. His, his actions here take planning to go capture all of these foxes and think about what he's going to do. He has, he has uh, um, some plan that goes into this, not some rash action. Uh, and his actions, they're very much striking at the Philistine economy. This is their food supply. In many ways, we could say this is their bank. He's burning down the crops that will supply them for another whole year. And, and it wasn't even all the, just the grain, that's the yearly crop. It even says at the end of verse 5 there that it goes into the, uh, the olive orchards. Um, and some translations even into the grapevines. And so those are things that this is their economy for the future. Uh, this is a real hit to what will be there in years to come. Uh, and so, he certainly gets the attention of the Philistines through this, which was at least part of his purpose. But was there more? What was he hoping to gain? Was it just to be mad and vent himself? Or was, or is he hoping to gain something? Uh, is, uh, is he blaming these Philistines generally? They were the ones who extorted from his wife that answer to the riddle and made things turn out badly. Well, I don't think it was just that. I think Samson is still pursuing this Timnite woman. But what he's doing is he's striking at the Philistines so that they will then put pressure on this Timnite to give him his wife, take her from whoever she's been given to and give him back. Uh, his wife, so that he gets what he wants, and he'll show them. And I think this makes sense in light of what the Philistines do in response. Because 
Samson comes and he attacks their economy, and what's their response? Well, it's not to fight Samson. It's to say, what? Why is this? Oh, the Timnite gave away his daughter-in-law, or his daughter, and so they go and they burn that daughter and the Timnite. Uh, This is their way of answering him. You think you can force our hand? You think you can get what you want? We'll show you. We'll destroy them. Well, whatever this reason, and so then Samson, as we said, has another fight with them. And whatever, whatever the reason for all of this, after that second fight, Samson, he sees the score as settled, and, uh, and so he's stomping off again now to this place of Etam, this rock of Etam. He says, I'm done. After this, I am done. Well, Samson leaves, but the Philistines aren't done. Now, Samson was from the tribe of Dan, and the tribe of Dan was in the foothills near where the Philistines were, near the coast. And this rock of Atom that Samson goes to, it's up over across the hill country, uh, up over the hills where the tribe of Judah lives. Uh, and so he's crossing over uh, to through the land of Judah uh, to the more desert regions on the eastern side uh, of their territory. And, uh, and so this is where he settles down. And so the Philistines, they now assemble their army. And they go marching. And so they go marching right into this heartland of Judah. And so now it's Judah's turn to be surprised. And so they ask, why? Why have you come up against us? We've been faithfully serving you as as the overlord. Uh, And uh, and so uh, the Philistines, as they say, they tell him, verse 10 there, uh, why have you come up against us? And they said, we've come to bind Samson to do to him as he did to us. They want their revenge. Now, as we think of the book of Judges, way back at the beginning, Judah was the one who had been most ready to uh, to go up and fight the, the Canaanites. They were the ones who started out, the first tribe to go and to help expel the Canaanites from the land. Uh, But what do we find now? We now find that they're lecturing Samson, saying, don't you know that the Philistines are ruling over us? They, They seem to be satisfied with this status quo. They're satisfied with this Philistine oppression. Back in Judges, verse 10, verse 6, it describes how Israel had abandoned the Lord and served the gods of the nations, including those of the Philistines. And Judah's not ready to give that up. Even though the Philistines have come as this oppressor, they're not ready to change. They're more satisfied with Philistine oppression than service to the Lord. 
Samson, they say, you're rocking the boat. Stop it. Let us be in where we are. Now, Samson's reply to them is really no better. We don't find some passioned plea. Look at us. We're serving foreign gods. We're under oppression. Let's rise up and fight. No, instead, Samson has no interest in saving Israel, leading them in battle. Uh, As we read, he went off to this rock of Atom because he said, it's done. Uh, I've gotten my vengeance. I'm done. Uh, I'm out of here. Uh, Instead, right, all of his fights with the Philistines, they've been this personal feud. This feud that starts in that family affair with his his wife that's given away and now has cycled into this national conflict. As he says, I've only done to them what they did to me. The same words that they, the Philistines, use when they speak to Judah. And he certainly doesn't seem sorry that Judah's gotten dragged into this. Blame the Philistines, it's not me, it's their problem. They're the ones who started all of this. Well, in the book of Judges, we see this rupture, not only of Israel's relationship with God as they chase after other gods, intermarry with these foreign nations, but we also see the strife within Israel itself growing worse and worse. Uh, And so by this point in the narrative, we're really not that surprised that Judah is actually now aiding the enemy against this one who would be their judge to begin to save them. In the following chapters, if we read on, we find there's all-out civil war between uh, all of the tribes and Benjamin. But this is certainly not a good thing. Israel handing over their countrymen to the enemy. Now, we're not told what Samson was thinking, why he allowed himself to be bound. He, he doesn't seem to want to fight his fellow Israelites, these Judahites, they they obviously are a little bit afraid of him. 3,000 of them come down to make this request of binding him and bringing him back. Uh, but I would argue what, it's, what, uh, what probably best fits the narrative is he thought he could fight his way out of it. Uh, certainly in chapter 16, he pretty much sees himself as invincible going about and doing whatever he was. And he is invincible there until he isn't. Now, we get to this big climax, verse 14, and we should hear the parallel back from chapter 14. These these Philistines, they come rushing out, shouting to meet him. And what happens, the Spirit of the Lord comes upon him and he fights And uh, it's very much the same language of the lion that came out in 14, roaring at him, and the Spirit of the Lord comes upon, and he kills that lion. Uh, And so that's what we find here. They shout like that lion, and the same results come about. The Spirit of the Lord comes on. His bonds fall off. He picks up this crude weapon, a donkey's jawbone, fresh from the kill so it's not so brittle. And he wields it about, and he defeats the Philistines. And he composes poetry, right? He has his song there at the end, and we're not that surprised as we read the song that 
it seems to focus a lot on Samson. I have struck down a thousand men. But then we get the surprising ending. The narrative doesn't stop there. Instead, it ends with a prayer. Surprise, surprise. Samson knows how to pray. What brings Samson to his knees? Well, it isn't facing the Philistine army single-handedly. It was plain, old, ordinary thirst. He has fought this tiring battle, and as we said, this place is in the dry part in the desert off in the east of Judah. And now he's thirsty, and he thinks he's going to die. The strong man was confident. He could fight his way out of about anything, but he can't even provide for his own basic needs. He can't make water appear. But God can. And his prayer is hardly a model to follow. He does recognize God's control. We knew that the Lord was the one empowering Samson, but in some, we're somewhat surprised that he actually acknowledges it here. He says, you, you God have given into the hand of your servant this great salvation. But then, in many ways, his prayer turns into a demand to God to act. Now, should I die of thirst and fall into the hands of the uncircumcised? And in this complaining demand, many have rightly seen ties with Israel in the wilderness during the Exodus. You saved us from Egypt, but just to bring us out here and kill us by thirst, by famine. But as it was with Israel, God was patient. He was long-suffering with Samson as he brought forth water, granting him life. Now, some have taken Samson's prayer here as a turning point in the narrative, a greater recognition of his calling and God's role. Um, I find that hard in light of chapter 16. There seems to be no turning. He's running after a, uh, a harlot in, uh, in Gaza and then Delilah. Um, many, as, as we pointed out at the beginning, chapter 16 is in parallel with chapter 14 and 15 as his desires, these improper desires for improper women lead him down a path of destruction. No, no, Samson's prayer, it, it does show us that he did believe in the God of Israel, that he knew that and recognized that deep down, but that too often in practice, he lived as if he did not. God was there when things got really bad, but did not figure in how he often went about his life. And Samson's prayer and God's answer at the end it highlights what has been true during the entire sequence of these events in 14 through 15, uh, surrounding Samson's attempt to marry this Philistine woman from Timnah. God was in control. God was sovereign. And he would not turn his back on his people. God's people, as we saw, didn't want a Savior. 
as those men of Judah clearly showed. And God's judge, Samson, isn't looking to save anyone, uh, as we saw, as Samson demonstrated. And yet, God's plan is progressing. It's going forward. He is placing this enmity, using Samson, as we said, to start this fight, to stop Israel from being assimilated to the Philistines that were round about him. It is this fulfillment of what we said was in 14.4. God was seeking an opportunity against the Philistines. And thus, I would say there's some irony in the last verse of our chapter, verse 20 there, in that formula of Samson judging Israel for 20 years, because it was really only God who thought of Samson as a judge in Israel. Well, in closing, as we reflect on this life of Samson, we should see it as a mirror for Israel and and also by that for ourselves. Most commentators rightly say that Samson is a portrait, a portrayal of Israel, holy from his birth, from conception, and yet continually running after what is right in his own eyes, breaking his covenant with his Lord and God. Israel failed to properly recognize and acknowledge God's care for them, and yet Israel kept demanding when trouble strikes. And as I said earlier, if you don't recognize yourself there, you need to look harder. But the book of Judges is also all about the future. It's preparing for the book that comes next, the book of Samuel, where we find a king. Kingship is the way the book of Judges ended. And each judge is part of a process of examining leadership. What does Israel need? What type of savior do they need? What type of king? And as we progress in the book, more and more the judges teach us what is needed by what is lacking. And so by the time we reach Samson, he is pretty much the anti-leader. Because Israel needed one that would lead them in right worship, lead them in righteousness, instead of following his own wants, his own desires. They needed one who would have care and compassion for the people instead of his selfishness and vengefulness. And so we know that Israel needed, and we need, David's greater son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's pray.